Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. I'm happy to say that after the new year, we're going to be welcoming in a new sponsor as we keep the show growing. Hope everybody enjoyed their Christmas. Hope everybody enjoyed their holidays, obviously. You're sitting here on a Wednesday, and probably the one Wednesday or mid part of the week during the year where a lot of people have no idea what day it is. There's a situation, obviously, with Christmas being on Tuesday, a lot of businesses being closed. It almost feels like a Monday, or feels like really it could be any day of the week, but it happens to be a Wednesday. A couple things we're going to get into today. Just a reminder, if anybody's interested, you can give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598. You could also comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed, or if you're listening on demand on YouTube, please you let me know what's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. A couple topics we're going to hit up today. We're going to get pretty pretty deep into baseball's Hall of Fame. And if you've heard my take on it and how I feel about the Hall of Fame, it's almost like the Hall of Exclusion. It's almost like there's reasons that are being put out there to try to convince that the, the people that baseball should not have the best players in its Hall of Fame. And this is this is something that, like I said, I've discussed a lot. I'm not going to rehash the same things, but you talk about a place that is supposed to honor the best of the best. It's supposed to have the, the best players to ever play. Yet, the player that has the most hits in its history is not part of the Hall of Fame. The player that has had hit the most home runs in the history of the game is not part of its Hall of Fame. The player that has won the most Cy Youngs, the most MVPs, the third and fourth highest accumulated batting averages in its history are not in the Hall of Fame. And I think it's an absolute joke. It's an embarrassment. Now, you could say if you want to be you know, the other side and say, well, there's reasons why those players are not in its respective Hall of Fame. And I, I give you credit and I say, okay, that's a point that's taken. That being said, the other side of it is that it looks like if you bring up all these different instances from the Black Sox scandal to Pete Rose to the steroids to Kurt Schilling just because people don't like him. The media doesn't like Kurt Schilling, so that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And the reasonable doubt that exists about the many players that could have used performance-enhancing drugs and may not have, and we think of as sports can apply to the court of law. And I don't think we ever bring this up because this is a part where if you are accused of a crime, whether you committed it or not, you still have the right to a trial, the right to representation, the right to be innocent until proven guilty. Now, players that obviously were involved with different sort of things in baseball, certainly steroids, either used or didn't use, but should have the same right to represent themselves and should be innocent until proven guilty. Now, the Baseball Hall of Fame, the only way that it's set up is to have the exact opposite, where players are guilty until proven innocent. And it doesn't just apply to steroids. It applies to the many different ways that people and players are kept out of the Hall of Fame. You look at a guy like Lefty O'Doul. He didn't get enough at-bats. 
maybe he was held back. Maybe he didn't get a full opportunity to play the amount of games that he should have. Fred McGriff is another interesting candidate. And, and I actually just saw this the other day, which kind of backs my argument that Fred McGriff should be a Hall of Famer. The 1994 baseball strike, McGriff was having one of his best seasons. So were the Montreal Expos. So was Tony Gwynn. So was Greg Maddox. And if you look at a series of players and teams, and obviously the fans were hurt, number one, by the baseball strike, you know, unconclusive, you know, absolutely undisputed. But Fred McGriff could have hit seven more home runs in 1994 if it wasn't for the baseball strike. Fred McGriff could have hit a total of seven home runs, whether it's through the balance of the rest of the 1994 season or the beginning of the 1995 season, which we know was shorted because of said strike. So if Fred McGriff has 500 home runs, is he in the Hall of Fame already? Probably. And it's a shame that, you know, once again, it's a look, it's almost like you're looking for reasons to not put somebody in your Hall of Fame. You know, if, if you pass the test of any reason we could try to keep you out, and I mean we, because I think the fans and the media and everybody that has an opinion is just as guilty as the baseball writers and the veterans committee when it comes to holding players back. And once again, you look at a great sport, a sport that is supposed to be considered America's pastime, is supposed to be considered the top sport, the elite sport, and it's the only one that has found many different reasons to hold back players and keep them out of the Hall of Fame. And I'm having a hard time taking the Baseball Hall of Fame seriously. And all due respect to Jeff Idelson, all due respect to everybody that's involved in, in the museum. And obviously putting the calls together, bringing the certain players in, honoring them, uh, honoring the history of the game. I think they've all done a great job in doing that. But you're looking at a Hall of Fame that cannot be taken seriously if a series of its best players are not even considered to be part of it. We could talk about the NFL and the NBA and probably bring up some bad things about some players that have been inducted in its Hall of Fame. It's not a Hall of Saints. It's not a Hall of Fame of people. It's a Hall of Fame to honor the best of particular generations. Now, I'm okay if you want to go as far as to honor the players that put up the best numbers, that made the best accomplishments, that are a representation of what is great about the game. They did great things. They did things that other players have never done before. And if you want to go and put it on their plaque, if you want to put that Barry Bonds likely used performance-enhancing drugs, if you want to put that Shoeless Joe Jackson was part of the 1919 Black Sox scandal and he took money to throw the World Series in 1919, I'm okay with that. If you want to put that Pete Rose had a serious gambling problem, bet on the game when he was a manager, and was banned for life until his reinstatement date, whatever that turns out to be, I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to deny the flaws of the people that are being held out. The players that are being held out of the Hall of Fame have obviously done things, or at least there's reasonable doubt or an expectation that they did certain things that they shouldn't have done. But once again, it's not the Hall of Fame of people. It's the Hall of Fame of players and athletes that represent the best of the best. And we could go back to a couple weeks ago when the Veterans Committee uh, elected Lee Smith and elected Fred McGriff. 
I'm sorry, not Fred McGriff. Well, I, ho I hope at some point they elect Fred McGriff, but to bring in Harold Baines. And Harold Baines has taken almost an unfair amount of criticism because of his borderline Hall of Fame candidacy. He had a very good career. He got, what, over 27 or 2,800 hits. He played for a long time, probably more than half of his career. He was a designated hitter. But what stands out about Harold Baines is he was never looked at upon as one of the best in the game. He was never looked at upon as an immortal. So when we look at the Hall of Very Good, as we hit the opening point here at the pass ball shove, you hear in the background, that's the cuckoo clock. This is the time that I remind you that the pass ball show, in addition to being brought to you by JohnPielli.com, is also brought to you by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. But Harold Baines, you know, is looked at in the Hall of Very Good. Rabbit Marinville, Phil Rizzuto, Ray Shaw. Borderline Hall of Fame candidates at best, Bill Mazeroski. And I could even push it a little further if I want when you, I bring up the names of Andre Dawson and Tony Perez. All very good players. But if you wanted to hold the Hall of Fame to a strict standard where only the Immortals are part of the Hall of Fame, only Lou Gehrig and Old Haas Radmorn and Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Ted Williams and Christy Mathewson, the best of the best, the top 1% or 2%, then I think you'd have a case that a lot of these players are borderline candidates at best. Now, the Hall of Fame in certain areas has opened it up to maybe the top 5%. And I don't think other Hall of Fames, you could look at the NFL and you could say the fact that they got to put six, seven people and players in every single year would make that a little more watered down. And I get it. So maybe the NFL is probably the top 5% of its players are in the Hall of Fame or are going to be enshrined in its Hall of Fame. Now you want to say baseball should go to the top 3%, but this is where you run into the wall. This is where you almost want to run into a wall. This is when you almost want to take a bat and hit yourself over the head with it. Because you're talking about the best players to ever play in its generation, but we got to come up with and make all these different statements how this person should not be in because of this. This person should not be in because of that. You know, gambling. How many pro football players have bet on football? I, I bet you a lot. How many pro football players are heading to its Hall of Fame or on the path to get in the Hall of Fame that play fantasy football, that do legalized sports betting? Is there a chance they could have ever bet on their own team? Is there a chance, God forbid, and I hate to say this because this is so sacrilegious, when you talk about the sport of pro football, could a player possibly bet against his own team? Because I do it as a fan. I bet against my favorite team if I know that it's got a better opportunity to bring me money, if I think the spread is too high. So is there going to ever be any investigation on this? Or is there going to be any reason to track certain players' uh, history and betting interest? Like I said, as small as fantasy football, what percentage, and I don't know this for an answer, maybe somebody that's listening could give me an answer, what percentage of pro football players play fantasy football? Because this is, we're, we're gravitating towards the possibility, because think about it, if a pro baseball player, major league baseball player, is playing fantasy baseball, which you know probably happens, 
Is there a chance that they could put a bet on a team? If they do, could it be a reason that they may want to put a bet on their own team to win? And whether they're trying to hide it or not, could that happen? I think those are, those are things that have to be considered. And this is going back to talking about P. Rose and talking about the unfortunate things that were happening, not just in 1919, but in the 19-teens. Because I believe the 1914 World Series between the Boston Braves and the Philadelphia Athletics was not on a level. It wasn't. I believe that the gamblers were involved in that, and there were players and people that contributed to that World Series for the Philadelphia Athletics. That took money that just cannot be proven at this point. The 1919 Black Sox was not the first World Series to be thrown. So are we going to go and look at who were the top players on the 1914 Philadelphia Athletics? A couple Hall of Famers, whether you're talking about an Eddie Collins, you know, Eddie Plank, Chief Bender, some players that we, we don't even think of their names, but they are enshrined in baseball's Hall of Fame. So what if some evidence gets thrown out there that maybe these players did take money to throw the World Series. And you're talking about long after their deaths. You're talking about over 100 years that this could happen. So what are we going to do? Are we going to change it? Are we going to take these players' names out? You don't have Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who, by the way, was a bigot, and we want to hold people back because of, you know, biasness and racism, which I, I believe that discussion is valid up to a certain point. But you're looking at a game in Major League Baseball that was racist up until 1947, and probably showed racial undertones for a series of years later, if not up until the current year that we live in, in 2018. If you listen to my show last week, talking about the hypocrisy, that we could talk about inclusion in Major League Baseball, yet one-third of its teams, 10 out of 30 teams, have never, in the history of their franchise, had a black manager. And we could say that we've, we've solved all racial issues in regards to Major League Baseball. Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in 1947 opened the door. But how come there's 10 teams, including some of the longest serving teams in the history of Major League Baseball, that have never had a black manager? So we're going to talk about this, yet, oh my God, God forbid somebody injects their body with performance-enhancing drugs. In a game, by the way, that is supposed to be for entertainment. And, I, and I'll say this all the time because this is the one point that I say but. The one aspect of this discussion that I always do feel for. There were a lot of players in Major League Baseball in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s that played their ass off. They gave everything that they got. They cared enough about their bodies and made a decision that they were not going to use performance-enhancing drugs. Like I said, this is the one but that I will always throw in the discussion. Players that did it the right way watched as they were being passed over by players that were synthetically enhanced, almost like machines. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to tell exactly what certain types of steroids can do for you or allow. And I mean this when it comes to numbers because I'm a numbers guy. So we talk about numbers, does it give you an extra 15% home run power, an extra 10% batting average power, an extra 20% being able or the ability to strike out opposing hitters? I don't know. And maybe through the research, while we're taking all these numbers guys out of Harvard 
and Yale and putting them in the Major League Baseball front offices, maybe we can use that type of research to figure out what your average performance-enhancing drug does or can enhance you by the numbers. But I do feel, I feel for every pro baseball player that did it the right way, and every pro baseball player that never made it to the major leagues, everyone that ended up getting up to a certain level in the minors and watched as they were being passed over by guys that were injecting themselves in the locker room, injecting themselves in the on-deck circle, doing it right smack in front of anybody, and had no shame doing it. So those players that may have had an advantage from a talent perspective may not have gotten the Major League Baseball, may ne never have gotten to see what they could have done if everybody was on the same level. And I bring, I say on the level because it's a fair comparison to what's going on when you talk about betting on baseball or betting on sports. If you're throwing a game or if you have an influence in a result of a game in a negative way, you're not doing it on the level. So players that were injecting themselves were not on the same level or not doing it at a fair enough level for the others that were not. So you're talking about two different levels. The players that were playing in Major League Baseball that were doing things the right way. But then, of course, you got those, those very, very murky situations when you're thinking about, all right, well, you want to take a product from GNC. You want to take something that's going to give you a little more energy. I talk, I talk all the time about the, the bee pollen that I take. It gives me a little more of a boost, gives me a little more energy, allows me to feel uh, a little more alive. Now, would that pass? Would I uh, fail a drug test in regards to Major League Baseball? Maybe. But what's the line? And you, and you could say any player that's suspended, right? remember, think about it, it's in the... It's in the CBA. It's negotiated between the players and the owners now. We, what do we hear every time a player gets suspended? A player is suspended for um, a failure of the drug treatment and prevention program that Major League Baseball has. And you hear about it all the time. But it's not. in some cases, it's specific. In other cases, it's not as specific. In, in fact, some drugs that are thrown out there, the majority of the people don't know anything about. So what's to say that there's that you know little chemical that contains something but doesn't have as much of an impact as, let's say, a something that's given to a horse to give them a huge shot of energy? Once again, the information is not out there, so we can't tell what is a, a substance that somebody's taken that you know could kind of be borderline okay. I mean, think of the andro. You talk about... The 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And Mark McGuire is being interviewed after the game. And there's a big container of Andro, which, by the way, now is not legal in Major League Baseball. But Mark McGuire, if he wants, could say that that's the only supplement that he was taking. And he could say that, yes, he may, may or may not believe it's a performance-enhancing drug. But he was taking it while it was legal, while it could be taken off the shelf and bought at GNC. Mike Piazza's in the Hall of Fame. And I love Mike Piazza. He's one of my favorite ball players of all time. But Mike, as he ended up writing his book, his tell-all, admits to using Andro while it was legal. So if Mark McGuire was using Andro, and perhaps maybe that was the only thing he was using, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. 
I mean, he admitted to using steroids, but is his admission of using steroids that he used Andro? Then you're talking about a player, Mike Piazza, that's on, that was doing the same thing that is part of the Hall of Fame. Yet, we still want to be picky and choosy in regards to what players we're going to say are okay. There's reasonable doubt that Yvonne Rodriguez, Pudge, the great all-time catcher, probably used performance-enhancing drugs. He was a first-ballot Hall of Famer. You know, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Pedro Martinez, Frank Thomas. These are all players that played during the steroids era. And they're certainly, what they have in common is that they're all likable. You, you look at them, you get a good interview from them if you're part of the press. They're going to give you the comments that you want. They had great careers. There was nothing that ever drew them towards negativity or very limited scenarios and examples that you can make about negativity when it comes down to these guys and their playing careers. But they played during the steroids era. They had the opportunity, if they wanted to, to use performance-enhancing drugs. And you know what? Because they're nice guys, certainly could have done it and gotten away with it. The one thing that doesn't get spoken about when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame process and the judging of certain players which are implicated and expected to have done performance-enhancing drugs and everybody else is the fact that we're never going to be able to know who did and who didn't. And that's been my point and my case that I've made for a series of years now. You have a bunch of players that you could believe use performance-enhancing drugs and others get a complete pass. Frank Thomas was one of the best players of the 1990s. I remember watching him as a kid, as one of the guys that could simply do everything. Great eye at the plate, awesome power, played a reasonable defensive first baseman at, at first base. Hit for a high average. Was just a great, great player. He played during the steroids era. What's to say that he wasn't doing anything that was synthetically enhancing his performance? And once again, if I make this statement, it's like I'm taking a shot at Frank Thomas. But when we're talking about the same reason that we are accusing certain players of. And I remember, I think it was Ken Gumick out in Los Angeles decided that he wasn't he was going to vote for Jack Morris that one year and not vote for any other player that played in a quote unquote steroids era. And I'm going to tell you this. This guy took a whole shitload of heat for it. He looked like a jerk. He looked like he was trying to draw some attention to himself, but he made a very valid point. If there's no way he could tell between a player that used performance enhancing drugs and a player that didn't use performance enhancing drugs, except for hearsay, except for somebody else's opinion. Yeah, he looked like he did. He, you know, he looked like he was more fat than muscle, so I don't think that he did performance-enhancing drugs. That's not a fair enough way to assess something. You either did or you didn't. And if you want to use the use of performance-enhancing drugs as a reason to hold somebody out of baseball's Hall of Fame, you, you should do it in a way where you either know or you don't. And the problem is everybody thinks they know. Everybody thinks they know by looking at a player whether they used or they didn't use. Yet you find players all the time, guys that you look at and you say they never for the life of me would I expect that they used performance enhancing drugs, but they did. So what do you do when that happens? Because your eye test is very flawed. 
just like the whole judging process when it comes to who should be a Hall of Famer in Major League Baseball and who shouldn't be. And this is a frustrating thing to see because once again, and I'll say it again, I'll go on this rant a number of times. I'm going to keep saying it a ton of times when we, when we talk about this issue. Baseball is the only sport that has the player that has the most hits, that has the most home runs, that has the most MVPs, that has the most Cy Young awards, that has the second and third, I'm sorry, the third and fourth highest batting average in the history of the sport. A player that's one of only four in the history of its sport to have 4,000 or more strikeouts. The four top players, if you're looking at the list of the highest home run totals in a single season in baseball history, their names are Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Roger Maris. Those are the only names you're going to see up there. And none of them are in this Hall of Fame. So if you want to point to individual reasons of why they're being excluded, that's fine. And that's the narrative. And that's what people are going to continue to bank on for years and years. But it's an embarrassment to the sport to not have the best of its best enshrined. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Albert's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey as we're over here making a mess. Whole thing. Anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball sports and you find America, please join the show. Let me know what's on your mind. 732-364-3598 if you want to call. Please make a comment, Periscope, Facebook Live, any way that you are interacted with the show, please let me know what's on your mind. I did want to spend a little, a couple minutes talking about the NFL playoff picture. And we spoke last week a little bit about the AFC. And I'll start out by just talking about some interesting scenarios. And what I love about talking about the possibilities is that you have a division in the AFC South where three teams could actually win the division. You've got a team in Tennessee that's playing at home against Indianapolis. The winner of that game is pretty likely to get into the playoffs. In fact, the winner of that game is guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. Tennessee's at home. They might be missing their starting quarterback. Well, you look at Marcus Mariota, and I'll tell you, I've said this a number of times. I just, I'm disappointed in what I've seen to this point. This guy looks like he could have been a star, and I'll say it at this stage of the game. What are we talking about? Three, four years they've been in the league, him and Jameis Winston. I still I think Jameis Winston is the better pro. You know, Winston has got that issue where he can't seem to get himself out of trouble. He has that public image issue where people are going to judge him in a negative way. But I look at Marcus Mariota and he has not done anything incredible on the field. Nor has he been able to stay healthy. And it'll be very disappointing to have a winner-take-all game against the Indianapolis Colts, against the division rival, and have Marcus Mariota sitting. Now, if he's hurt and he can't play, so be it. Can't expect the guy to play if he can't. And you know what? We talked about this with Cam Newton a couple weeks ago. Cam Newton simply playing hurt, which looks good, is an excellent statement, an excellent gesture to your respective team. you got a guy that is 
playing hurt, but still going out there, giving you his absolute best, you have to try to figure out at some point, is this player giving me an opportunity to succeed, one that is better than if my backup was in there? Cam Newton playing at 5% is probably not as good. It probably doesn't give the Carolina Panthers a better chance to win than the backup quarterback at 100%. And the same thing you got to ask yourself with Marcus Mariota. Is he playing at 50%? Is he playing at 75%? Is he going to play at 40% or 25% or 10%? Obviously, obviously, if he's playing at 0%, that means that he's not playing. But if he's playing at 1%, does Blaine Gabbert give them a better chance to win? And I'm not in love with Blaine Gabbert. I think he is a journeyman backup. I don't look at him as a starting NFL quarterback. I can't imagine if Blaine Gabbert was starting for the Tennessee Titans in a playoff game that the Titans would have any chance of beating anybody in the playoffs. That being said, what gives them the best chance to win this individual game? And that's what you got to ask yourself. Titans at home, they've been great at home this year. They have a chance to play the Colts, avenge an earlier loss where the Colts kind of wiped their ass with them. A dominating win by Indianapolis earlier in the season in Indy. But I like the fact that if Houston loses, the Houston Texans lose their game here, last game of the season, either Tennessee or Indianapolis could take that division with a win. And one of them's going to win. And obviously you look at the day and age and the generation that we live in in the NFL, the 10-minute overtimes, the opportunity for there to be a tie is so much more existed than it was in the 90s or the early part of 2000s. Certainly going back to the 70s and 60s, there were more ties then. But you look at, all right, a 10-minute overtime. If the game is tied, if there's not a lot of scoring in there, there's a chance that it could end up in a tie. And I'll tell you, you want to talk about even an even trickier scenario. Yeah. What happens if the, if the Colts and Titans tie? And, and it's funny how all these playoff scenarios are listed and you got to read them. And sometimes sometimes you got to read them a couple times, more than once, to actually understand what it is. But if in Indianapolis and Tennessee ties and Houston loses, you're talking about whether New England wins, whether Baltimore wins, whether Pittsburgh wins. So the AFC is really interesting if you really break down all these scenarios. I mean, you talk about Baltimore and their possibility to win a division. They could get a first-round bye. New England could get a first-round bye. Houston could get a first-round bye. The Los Angeles Chargers, who are sitting there at the fifth seed right now in a top wild-card spot, have a chance to have the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So even though you're only talking about a series of teams, Pittsburgh with a chance only to win the AFC North Division. If they win and Baltimore loses, Pittsburgh's in. Baltimore, yes, they could get in the playoffs if, let's say, the Titans and the Colts tie. I, I find it fascinating. I really do. And you look at the NFC situation or the scenario and you know, you're really looking at two teams, right, that really have a good chance of missing the playoffs. Five of the six teams 
have already clinched with Seattle winning the other day, beating Kansas City. And by the way, that was a great win by the by the Seahawks at home against Kansas City. You're starting to get the impression that Seattle, if they make the postseason, which they have clinched the spot, but they're not going to be a difficult out. If they, you know, they're going to be playing the Dallas Cowboys. And listen, I think if you get the best when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys playing the best football that they possibly can, which they've shown a number of times this year, then the Seahawks may have some trouble. But if the, if Seattle beat Dallas, would that shock you? If Seattle ended up with a game against whether it's the Rams or the Bears. And think about it, Seattle against the Chicago Bears. That would be a pretty good matchup in a divisional round. Let's say Chicago's able to secure home field. Well, the Rams will maybe playing Week 17 without Todd Gurley. I think that's going to impact them. They got something to play for, a win, and they get the first round by, a loss and a Chicago win, and they got to play on Wild Card Weekend. They would certainly prefer the win to give Gurley that extra week rest. But imagine a scenario in a division round when you're talking about Seattle going to Chicago. Would it shock you if Seattle won that game? And then you're talking about the Seattle Seahawks, a team that has been very much dismissed by National Football League fans and people that follow the league over the last couple of years, thinking their time's done, the Legion of Boom defense is no longer in existence. Russell Wilson's being asked to do too much stuff by himself. He doesn't have the weapons. And look at where the Seahawks are. I wouldn't be shocked that they made a run this year. In regards to that last wild card spot, you got Philadelphia, you got Minnesota, the Vikings could clinch a spot with a win. And who would have thought, think about it, Minnesota and Philadelphia played in the NFC Championship game last year with the winner of that game going to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. One of those teams won't make the playoffs this year. It's just a fact. Philadelphia, after a rough start, may be able to slip their way back in. And I was talking about Nick Foles. And a lot of other people have talked about his impact on that Philadelphia Eagles offense. May it be time that the Eagles consider going to Foles full-time as their starter and maybe moving on from Carson Wentz. And it's not that Carson Wentz has played poorly, but man, the Eagles look like a different team with Nick Foles at the helm. If Foles leads them to a victory in a playoff spot and maybe a win or two in the playoffs... It's obviously something that's discussed nightly on the Philadelphia Sports Beat. When it comes to the Philadelphia talk shows and the Philadelphia fans calling in to the stations, it's something that is a hot topic. It's something that's brought up a lot. You know, are the Eagles better off with Nick Foles as their quarterback? And Foles may have another chance to prove himself. If Carson Wentz is out for the year, which he may be, he may not be, but even if he isn't, if Foles leads them to the playoffs with a Week 17 victory and a Minnesota loss, you're talking about a wild card game where perhaps they're playing, I don't know, they're playing either the Rams, either the Bears, and somehow Carson Wentz is healthy enough and available to play. There's going to be a push for Nick Foles to start that game. And sure, certainly there's not going to be any patience if Wentz throws a pick in, you know, the first series of the game. Who gives you the best chance to win? 
And that's one of the most important things in sports that you have to talk about. And I think it can apply to radio, it can apply to most jobs. But who gives you the best opportunity to get the best results? And think about it. In a fair league, in a National Football League, both Carson Wentz and Nick Foles would be starters. And I still believe, and trust me, I'm, I take a lot of heat every time I say this. Colin Kaepernick, like him or hate him, should be in this league. The quality of quarterback that exists in the National Football League is not very good. And I don't care what you want to say about Colin Kaepernick. And I know he's been removed from the game for a couple of years. Maybe he'd have to go on a field and prove that he's still in good shape and can still potentially lead an offense. But you're looking at the, some of the names and some of the players that are getting opportunities and getting signed by NFL teams. And you understand why Colin Kaepernick is being blackballed and he's being held back. Whether you believe that it's a worthy reason or not. This is a guy that probably should be one of the top 32 quarterbacks. One of the 32 starters. Pretty similar to Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. Nick Mullins with San Francisco has done a very good job replacing Jimmy Garoppolo. He deserves to be a starter next year. Garoppolo will be for the 49ers. Mullins, is he going to be their backup or should he be quarterbacking somebody else? It's always an interesting discussion. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, I found this a little bit interesting the other day. We're talking about holiday games. And Christmas, which obviously was yesterday, seems to be the holiday of the NBA. They had five games on the tab, including a Lakers game where they ended up beating the Golden State Warriors in a game that LeBron James ended up getting hurt. Uh, Houston winning a close game against Oklahoma City. There was some good action. If you wanted to make Christmas about watching the NBA, you you were probably entertained enough as a basketball fan. But I was thinking about this because New Year's Day has become a tradition. Every year the NHL has the outdoor game played, the Winter Classic. And I tell you, you know, you, you get more people in those stadiums than you do in your traditional hockey stadium. And it's a lot more interesting to watch. Watch a hockey game played outside. And then you think of potentially, I don't know, NFL on Thanksgiving. Two things kind of go hand in hand. You think of a turkey leg and you think of football played on Thanksgiving. And then I guess if you wanted to throw Major League Baseball in there, I don't know, you want to do Memorial Day, you want to do Fourth of July. I I, I do think that baseball doesn't have that particular holiday that you go to when you say, when this holiday is happening, I think of baseball. Because baseball goes over the course of the summer, there's Labor Day, there's Memorial Day. Uh, If you want to go Easter, there's not really that holiday that's so synonymous with the sport of baseball. But you think about Thanksgiving, and I think Thanksgiving and football go hand in hand. I think the National Basketball Association has worked very hard to try to provide some of its best matchups 
to be played on Christmas Day because they want to have that holiday be synonymous with its respective sport. The NHL, in my opinion, has leapfrogged them at least for New Year's Day. The Winter Classic played in the National Hockey League on New Year's Day, I believe is drawing more attention than the NBA is on Christmas. Maybe not as, as much attention as the NFL does on Thanksgiving, but certainly more than basketball. And let, let's be serious, baseball, as much as I love it, as much as I support the sport, as much as I'll do any way, any way to use some sort of idiosyncrasy to make baseball more, almost more prominent than it is, baseball is not tied in with any holiday. And maybe that's something they should work on. Little recap of the show today, Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'll tell you, I could bring this topic up every day and get just as fueled up and fired up over it. Because it's a game I love. And I understand that there's imperfections in it. There's some things that don't that, that, that were done, that were not done correctly, there were mistakes that were made. But once again, I'm gonna keep saying this. The player with the most hits in baseball history is not in the Hall of Fame. The player with the most home runs in baseball history is not in the Hall of Fame. The player that has won the most Cy Young Awards is not in the Hall of Fame. The player that has won the most MVP awards is not in the Hall of Fame. The players with the third and fourth highest batting average in baseball history are not in the Hall of Fame. The four players that had the top four individual single season home run totals in baseball history are not in the Hall of Fame. And then you want me to go into who is? All the racists and all the bigots from the 19th century and the early part of the 20th century? Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who is the commissioner that is given credit for saving baseball when he excluded and withheld the best African-American players at that time and forbid them to have an opportunity to play the same game as white players. Bud Selig, who presided over the steroids era. And while Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were hugging each other as they were going crazy on a home run chase to break Roger Maris's single season home run record, Bud Selig was cheering and he was talking about the popularity of baseball, how baseball is coming back, and is giving credit to Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. So when he administers some drug testing, which should have been done years ago, he's lauded as a hero. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. If he's in, I hate to say it, and you can get on me all you want for it, but if Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens got to be in there too. And we're going to talk about Kennesaw Mountain Landis like he's a hero. Saved the game. Banned the eight men in regards to the Chicago White Sox scandal of the 1919 World Series, which they threw. And they did. But we look at Kennesaw Mountain Landis and we don't talk about, or it's very seldomly mentioned, how much he impacted the game in a negative way. Some of the great African-American players that played 
in the Negro Leagues during his time when he was the commissioner. And he got a lifetime contract, one that lasted until the day that he died. But what happened the day that he died? Branch Rickey made a push. And he went out against what a lot of white people believed could ever happen. And he helped lead Jackie Robinson into Major League Baseball like black players should have been for years before. But yeah, tell me about the Hall of Exclusion and all the top players in Major League Baseball that are being held back. And then tell me at the same time that Kennesaw Mountain Landis makes the Hall of Fame look great. Brought some potential in regards to the postseason playoff picture in the NFL. The AFC is going to be interesting. you got three teams that could win the AFC South, depending on how the games work out this Sunday. And by the way, it seems like football just ended. It seems like we're in the early part of the week. It's Wednesday already. We're getting ready for the NFL in Week 17, which, by the way, the season has flown by. The NFC, the Eagles, and the Minnesota Vikings. And if the Eagles somehow get in with Nick Foles as their quarterback, how much is that going to lead to a possible quarterback change there that Nick Foles may very well be the quarterback of that future and not Carson Wentz. Holidays. Thanksgiving is about football. New Year's Day is about hockey. Christmas is about the NBA. Does Major League Baseball have a holiday? We'll be back with you later on in the week. Once again, a reminder, this is the Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Thank you for tuning in. Our uh, show will be up on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. So hope everybody enjoys the rest of their day. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.